Who do you tend to believe? If you want advice on a particular topic, who do you ask first? Your parents, your friends, your workmates, the internet? If you want to know the facts about a situation, if you want to understand how something works, if you want an honest opinion on how you look, who do you tend to believe? And if they don't give you the answer that you're looking for, do you still believe them or do you perhaps look for someone who will give you a better answer? When I want to upgrade my phone to the latest software, I always ask my brother first because he's better with that kind of tech stuff than I am. Plus, he's a software engineer who makes apps for iPhone. So I trust him. He knows what he's talking about. So just before Christmas, I upgraded my phone and it didn't break. So that was good. When my kids get into a fight, I'll ask them what happened. And then it's a bit harder to know who to believe. Their stories often don't match up. It's hard to get to the truth. And I must admit, I tend to believe Toby because he's so cute and adorable. And how can you do anything wrong? That's probably not a good reason, is it? In our passage in Matthew 14 today, we're going to look at Herod. And we're going to see how he believed the wrong people and got himself into a lot of trouble. He should have listened to God's messenger, John the Baptist, but he refused and so his unbelief became a problem. You might remember uh, last year we finished our series in the Gospel of Matthew at chapter 13. After much popularity in his public appearances, Jesus started to preach only in parables when in public. And they caused great confusion among the crowds, partly because these parables were hard to understand. And so this led many people to reject him, which was kind of the point. You see, he was God's messenger, sent to earth to reveal the truth about heaven and hell and judgment and eternal life. But many people saw him as simply a healer who could do miracles, or a prophet who would tell them what they wanted to hear. They didn't really listen to what he was saying. Matthew's retelling of Jesus' life begins to focus now on people responding to him with doubt, unbelief, rejection and even hostility. In fact, at the end of chapter 13, if you've got a Bible there, you can see that Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. His own people refused to accept him as God's messenger because, well, they'd known him his whole life. Well, today's passage in Matthew 14 picks up another story of unbelief, focusing on Herod and John the Baptist. And you may know this story because it ends with the beheading of John. Now, kids, listen up. Here's the answer for your first question. You can see that Herod is mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 14. But before we get into the details, we need to do a little bit of history. See, most Christians are familiar with the name Herod. But did you know there are actually three men in the Bible with that name? There's the Herod from the Christmas story, you know, the one that the wise men went to visit and then he tried to kill Jesus by killing all of the babies in Nazareth, uh, in Bethlehem. He wasn't really a very nice guy. The Herod we're looking at today is actually his son. So that first Herod, we could call him Herod the Great. And he ruled over all of Palestine and had a large family. 
You actually see in your welcome card, if you open it up, uh, part of his family tree is there. But I'm going to put some things up on the screen as well, just so you can see how it all fits together. After Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided up and given to three of his sons. One son, Archelaus, had a region that included Judea and Samaria. Another son, Philip the Tetrarch, received the region in the far north. And then the Herod of Matthew 14 received the territory that included Galilee. Now we know from records outside of the Bible that he was also called Antipas. So to make things clearer with all these Herod names, we're going to call him Herod Antipas. And you can see in verse 1 that he's called a tetrarch, which in those days simply meant a minor ruler. So back to our passage. Herod Antipas is an example of unbelief in God's messenger. And what we see first is that Herod's belief left him conflicted. It's the next point on your outline. Have a look at verses 1 and 2, and I'll read them out for us. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So it seems that during Jesus' ministry in Galilee, word has gotten back to Herod, and he thinks that John the Baptist has come back to life. So kids, you can listen up now. Here's an answer for your second question. The last time we heard about Jesus' cousin John was back in chapter 11. He was in prison and he sent his disciples to ask if Jesus was the Messiah or not. Now we learn why it was that John was in prison. But we'll also learn how it is that he came to his grisly end. So check out verses 3 to 5 where Matthew tells us what had happened in the past and why Herod was now anxious about the news of a miracle worker. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. Herod had imprisoned John because of his message. And as we'll soon see, Herod did end up killing him. But weeks or months later, he's feeling anxious because he fears that John has risen from the dead and now has miraculous powers. Herod is a guilty man whose conscience is now weighing on him. He fears that he's made a terrible mistake and his imagination is coming up with this crazy scenario. And this is not just a neutral, dispassionate observation because Even though Herod did respond to John in unbelief, he didn't want to kill him. His guilty conscience is now making him a bit irrational. Now, John and Herod had clashed over Herod's new wife. If you look carefully at verses 3 and 4, you'll see that Herod was married to Herodias, who was previously married to Philip, Herod's own brother. So I'm going to show you more of the family tree so we can piece this together. I mentioned three sons of Herod the Great earlier, and now I need to mention two more. So Herod Antipas had a half-brother named Aristobulus. It's a great name, isn't it? And he had a daughter named Herodias, making her the granddaughter of Herod the Great and the niece of Antipas. 
Now, Herodias then married another son of Herod, who was called Philip. Now, he's also called Herod. So to make things easier, we're going to call him Herod Philip to distinguish him from Philip the Tetrarch, who was a different guy. You still with me? So Herod Philip and Herodias had a daughter who we'll meet later in our passage. And other sources tell tell us that her name was Salome. In time, Herod Antipas and Herodias fell in love, so they divorced their spouses and they got married. Now, this is pretty complicated, isn't it? And it's also pretty disturbing. I mean, you thought your family had issues. Now, the problem with all of this is that the Herod family claimed to be Jews. And so John the Baptist, well, he had a very big problem with this. Now, it was possibly around the idea of divorce, but more likely it was about the laws in Leviticus that forbid men to marry their in-laws. For example, Leviticus 20, verse 21 says this, If a man marries his brother's wife, it is an act of impurity. He has dishonoured his brother. They will be childless. Now, John was a gutsy guy who had no problem calling people to repent. He boldly told people they needed to turn away from their sin and obey God. It didn't matter if he was speaking to a servant boy or to a tetrarch. Now, Herod refused to believe John's message, and this unbelief left him conflicted. So would he listen to his heart, which told him to stay with Herodias? Would he listen to his wife, who wanted John dead? And would he listen to the Jewish people? In verse 5, we see that they believed John was a prophet from God, and so to kill him might cause a riot. We learn also in Mark chapter 6 that Herod enjoyed listening to John. So there seemed to be a certain fondness as long as John didn't condemn his marriage. So here's Herod with many voices and interests that are pulling him in different directions, leaving him conflicted and unsure about what to do. So John just remained in prison, calling Herod to repent, and Herod remained in power, refusing to believe. Eventually, though, Herod's unbelief caught him out. That's the next main point in our outlines. We read in verse 6 that Herod threw a big party and things got out of control. Have you ever had a party like that? You throw a party, more people turn up than expected. It gets, gets a bit crazy, a bit out of control. It's what happened at Herod's party, except that someone got beheaded. So hopefully that doesn't happen at your parties. Now, Herod's stepdaughter, Salome, danced for his guests. And remember, she's also his great-niece through one marriage and his niece through another marriage. And it's likely that Salome was probably between 12 and 15 years old. And so when it says that her dance was pleasing, yes, you can actually assume that that's as distasteful as it sounds. And so Herod is pleased and makes a foolish oath that Salome can have whatever she wants. Now, this type of grand gesture was common in the ancient world. We see even in other places of the Bible. We see oaths as well. But often these oaths are typically foolish and they lead to the undoing of the oath maker. The making of this oath is itself a sign of Herod's unbelief. Because, see, he believes he's in control of the situation. 
He believes he can show off his great power, his generosity and impress everybody. He's acting as if he is God and he's soon going to be caught out. So kids, listen up. Here's the answer for the third question on your sheets. So Salome rushes off to her mother and asks for advice. Now, we don't know whether Herodias actually planned this by sending her daughter into dance, but she sees an opportunity and so sends Salome back with a request. And I actually love the way that verse 8 is written because it's almost like Matthew is trying to build the drama. You know, so Salome comes in and she looks up at her stepfather, uncle, great-uncle, looks up at him and says, give me here. And Herod's probably thinking, okay, this is a request I can answer straight away. That means it's probably a bit easier. And then she says, on a platter. And Herod's thinking, well, maybe she wants dessert. Okay, I can do this. Uh, The head of, okay, this is taking kind of a dark, unexpected turn. John, and Herod's going, please say John the Baker, please say John the Baker. John the Baptist. No. Herod has been caught out. Have a look at what happens in verses 9 and 10. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. Herod didn't want to kill John. That's why he's distressed. I mean, part of it was that he knew he would lose favour with the Jews. And also, perhaps a part of it was that he really did believe John was a prophet from God. But also, it's not a good look to have your stepdaughter demanding executions at your birthday party. But Herod's unbelief has caught him out. You see, he worried about what others thought rather than what God thought. He tried to please people and also please himself. He made a foolish oath and realised he couldn't back out of it now. He was caught out by his wife and his own poor choices. Have a look at verse 11. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. And this makes it clear, doesn't it? This was Herodias' plan and Salome was just a pawn in her game. Now this event caught Herod out in a much bigger way too. See, the Bible doesn't actually tell us what happened to him next, but the first century Jewish historian Josephus does. In his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, he writes about how Herod's first wife went back to her father, who happened to be a neighbouring king. And he raised up an army and went to war against Herod. And Herod's army was decimated in a humiliating defeat. Now listen to what Josephus writes next. Now some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God and that very justly as a punishment of what he did against John, that was called the Baptist, for Herod slew him who was a good man. Now keep in mind Josephus lived within a century of these events and he was not a Christian. So it's pretty cool to have another historical record to corroborate this story. And we do know elsewhere from history that this was kind of the beginning of the end for Herod, who only a few years later was banished to Gaul by the Roman emperor. So we can use this story as an example of how unbelief can catch us out. 
We can use it as an example of how we should listen to God's messenger. But before we think about that, there's something else we need to consider. This story serves another purpose. You see, it closes the chapter about John the Baptist. It closes the account of his life. And John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. You see, that's the next point in our outlines with a few sub-points underneath it. So have a look at verse 12. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. It's fitting that they would speak to Jesus at the end of John's life since John's whole ministry was about preparing for Jesus. In fact, many aspects of his life, his life and ministry mirrored or foreshadowed Jesus's. So kids, listen up. Here's the answer to the fourth question on your sheets. First of all, both Jesus and John had an unexpected birth announced by an angel and a name given by God. And this should be fresh in your minds. Christmas was just the other week, so you should know all this. John and Jesus, they were actually born about six months apart and their lives were intertwined from the beginning. In fact, we read that when the newly pregnant Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, the tiny John leaped for joy in his mother's womb when he heard the voice of Mary. When these two boys grew up, they were both considered prophets or messengers of God. Have a listen to Matthew 21, verse 46, and I'll in verse 45 too. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. That sounds like Matthew 14, doesn't it? In Herod's reaction to the Jewish crowds. And so we've got these Jewish leaders in Herod who are both afraid of the crowds who rightly recognise that John was a prophet and Jesus was a prophet. Now, these two men, they did share a similar role of being prophets, but there was a slight difference. You see, John was the last of the Old Testament prophets, or perhaps we could say of the Old Covenant. He was the greatest and last in a long line of faithful messengers who pointed people to God's promised king. And so his death marked the end of the phase of preparation because the Messiah had now come. Jesus was the king. But Jesus was also a prophet because he spoke God's word. And he's the only prophet we need now because there's no one greater to come. There's no greater revelation. The plan for salvation has been fully revealed. Another way in which John was a forerunner for Jesus is that both were condemned to death by Herod. John's death marks a turning point in Matthew's gospel because the second part of the book prepares for the death of Jesus. Like John, he will die as as an innocent man. And perhaps it's ironic that the man that Herod feared as the resurrected John, he actually met him not long after in Jerusalem. Herod and Pilate both found no charge against Jesus, but neither of them set him free, and so they were considered guilty of his blood. Yet there's a difference between the two deaths. You see, John's death possibly led to the judgment of God coming down upon Herod, as we saw in Josephus. Yet Jesus' death prevents God's judgment coming down. John's death marked the end of the old era, but Jesus' death brought in the new era, an era where forgiveness and mercy come freely to all who believe in Jesus. 
And this brings us to our final way in which John was a forerunner for Jesus. So kids, listen up. Here's the answer for your fifth question. John prepared the way for Jesus. In Matthew 3, John is introduced as God's messenger who was sent to prepare the way. He spoke a message of repentance in preparation for the Messiah. When Jesus came, he also preached repentance, but he also preached faith as well. And that faith was to be placed in Jesus. You see, John always pointed away from himself to the one who was to come, but Jesus pointed to himself as the one who had come, the one who can establish God's kingdom and can save all who come to him. As Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled God's promise to make a way for sinners to be forgiven. Jesus paid the debt that we all owe for all the times we listen to the wrong voices, for the times we act in unbelief, for the times we reject God and seek to please ourselves. Jesus died so that we might be forgiven. This story about John the Baptist is a warning against unbelief and an encouragement to listen to God's messenger. So let's think about how this applies to us today by answering this question. How can we listen to Jesus, God's ultimate messenger? Well, the first way is to listen to what God's other messengers say about Jesus. And Herod refused to listen to John, which meant that he then couldn't understand who Jesus was. He refused to accept John's call to repent, which meant he couldn't come to Jesus in faith. We should listen to John and all of the other prophets of God in the Bible. See, the whole Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus. And if we're going to listen to Jesus, we need to listen to what others say about him too. We could even include here present-day Bible teachers. It's important that we listen to our pastors and teachers, listen carefully to what they say about Jesus. And if someone claims to be a Bible teacher but never talks about Jesus, well, that might be a warning sign that perhaps you shouldn't listen to them. In fact, you know, since it's the first Sunday of the year, a time for new resolutions and making commitments, now's a good time to start a Bible reading plan. Maybe you've already done that, but if you haven't, there's not that much to catch up on to start from January 1. So I've actually put some suggestions for some Bible reading plans on the back of your welcome card. You can have a look there later on uh, with three different ideas of what you might like to do. And this is a great way to listen to what God's messengers say about Jesus. It requires a bit of discipline, but you can actually work your way through the whole Bible in one year. Now, if that's too much for you, maybe just start with the New Testament. Try and get through that in a year. Or maybe listen to an audio Bible. There's lots of options. And if you want to explore a bit more, you can come and talk to me and I'm happy to share with you lots of ideas. The second way to listen to Jesus is to listen to him and then repent and believe. That's because his central message was this. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. You know, Jesus has a lot to say about who God is. He has a lot to say about how to love others. He has a lot to say about what an ethical life looks like. But all of that's secondary. So the most important thing he said, his main message was that we need a heart change. We need an allegiance change. We need a mindset change. 
We need to turn away from living a life centred on ourselves and we need to turn to God. We need to trust in Jesus as our saviour who has died to remove the penalty of death that hangs over our heads. You know, there are many people who love to listen to Jesus. They might even read their Bibles, they might quote Jesus, talk about him, happy to think about Jesus a lot. But they haven't committed themselves to him as their Lord, which means they're not really listening to him. They're not listening to the key thing he said. The third way to listen to Jesus is to listen to Jesus first and foremost. We saw that Herod's problem was he had too many voices he was listening to. You know, he listened to his heart, to his wife, to the opinion polls, to his guests. But he didn't listen to the clear message of God, which came through God's messenger. That was his undoing. If you're a believer and you have already listened to Jesus, then keep listening to him. Because there are plenty of other voices that will speak up. People might tell you to not take Jesus so seriously. You know, why get so excited about this whole Christianity thing? Just chill out a bit. Or they'll tell you that you can follow Jesus, but you know, make sure you're open to other religions, other philosophies, other ways of doing things. But if Jesus is number two in your life, or even just an equal number one, then he's not first and foremost, is he? If you don't let yourself get tangled up in trying to please others and listen to what they say, if they're telling you to not listen to Jesus. There will be voices that will tell you that it's, it's okay to sin a little now and then because, well, Jesus will forgive you anyway. But what does Jesus say? Repent and obey him. And then there'll be other voices that will tell you, well, you're a bad Christian because you do keep sinning and you're not good enough for Jesus. You sin too much and so you obviously don't take him seriously. But Jesus also calls us to have faith in him and to trust that his death will cover all of our sins. If you don't let yourself be fooled by the seared consciences of others who want to lead you astray, don't be weighed down by your own troubled conscience. Listen to Jesus first and foremost who says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Finally, listen to Jesus, even when it's hard. Herod didn't like what John the Baptist had to say, so he tried to lock him away. And often we don't like what Jesus has to say or we don't like what the Bible has to say, so we try to lock them away too, don't we? But this only leads to unbelief and a troubled conscience. You know, as God's messenger draws near to us, we can feel uncomfortable because, well, he exposes the darkness in our hearts the corruption in our souls, the twisted thoughts in our minds. It feels uncomfortable. But the reason he draws near is to offer us the solution. It's painful to listen to, but it's for our good. Trust Jesus and believe his words because he is powerful and loving. He will give us a new heart. He will refresh and restore our souls. He will renew our minds. He will grant us forgiveness and eternal life. 
Jesus' words will not only be hard for us to hear, but sometimes they're going to be hard to live out. People will mock us and oppose us. You know, others won't always decide why it is that we make the decisions that we do, why we give up on certain ways of living. You know, many of you, if not all of you, have already made hard choices to listen to Jesus. And I praise God for that. And so I want to encourage you to keep it up, to keep listening to Jesus, to keep making those hard choices to have Jesus as your king, because he's a good king. John the Baptist was a messenger of God who prepared the way for Jesus, the ultimate messenger. And so we should listen to John, but more so we should listen to Jesus. And so may 2020 be a year where his words rule your heart and your mind. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story about John the Baptist and how he was bold in declaring the truth, even at great cost to himself. Uh, We thank you for his ministry that pointed others, including us, to you. And so help us to not be like Herod, who responded in unbelief. Help us instead to believe you, to trust in you, to entrust our lives to you, and know that you will forgive us, that you will keep us safe, and you will get us to heaven. Amen.